so I wanted I wanted the students to experience that crush of the need for ever increasing profits because that is what capitalism requires and particularly if you have investors your investors are going to push for that and you know you hit times when the only way to do that is to do things that are going to make the conditions worse for the workers Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode three of Rethinking Normal, a podcast for liberatory educators. I'm your host, Maureen Galvez. I'm a teacher, facilitator, and curriculum designer for anti-oppressive and liberatory education. I'm so excited for today's episode in which we're diving into the design and delivery of a Rethinking Normal simulation known as Origami Hearts. This game provides a hands-on learning experience that sheds light on the dynamics of capitalism, labor, and profit accumulation. If you're eager to nurture your students' critical thinking skills about our labor market and facilitate paradigm-shifting realizations, then I really hope you'll give this activity a try. I think that leftist educators are going to be really excited about this one, so I just can't wait for you to hear about it. This is not a game that I originally created. This game was created by none other than my dear friend, Nick Donato. And in a moment, Nick herself is going to come on the podcast and tell us about why she designed the simulation game the way that she did and what each stage of the game aims to show. I initially reached out to Nick a few years ago and hired her for her learning design expertise on this. I needed help designing a game for my students that would illustrate the workings of waged labor. I had a bunch of ideas and I knew what I wanted the game to show, but I really felt that I could benefit from collaborating with another leftist educator. And Origami Hearts Inc. is what Nick's brilliant mind came up with, and I'm so, so happy with it. I can say from experience delivering the game that it's wildly engaging and thought-provoking for students and starts some very, very interesting conversations. So Nick and I were clear that our objective from the start was to show students how workers only receive a fraction of the profit that their labor generates and that the value they receive is actually pretty egregious compared to the earnings of investors and top management. We also wanted to explore cost-cutting strategies used by capitalist workplaces and delve into the concept of greenwashing. In the interview you're about to hear, Nick goes into all of the theory that drove her decisions behind the creation of Origami Hearts, which I know will be so, so valuable to listen to if you're an educator hoping to deliver this activity in your classroom. But before I play that for you, let me provide you with a quick overview of the rules of the simulation game, because we don't go into that so much in the interview, so that way we are all on the same page. And I'm going to keep this description brief. I won't go into all the nitty gritty details here because you'll find a comprehensive facilitator guide and a slide deck on my website, rethinkingnormal.org with all of the instructions. So in a nutshell, at the start of the game, your classroom transforms into a factory known as Origami Hearts Inc. A person who's been prepped ahead of time acts as the investor of the company and sets the stage for the students. So the investor welcomes the students at the start of the class and explains to them that they are now laborers sitting in the factory that they, as the investor, have just purchased and staffed. The investor then hires a manager, who is one of the students, 
and that manager quickly trains the students on how to make the hearts by playing a YouTube video for them. Once all of the students are trained, the first shift begins, which is five minutes long. And during that time, the students need to make as many hearts as possible. This five minute shift is repeated three times throughout the simulation. After each shift, the hearts are collected from the workers and sold to a wholesaler who we have named Wally Mart. For each shift, workers earn a wage of one unit. And I'd recommend physically handing out this wage to them with, for example, a penny or a pom-pom or a toothpick or, you know, whatever is accessible to you. I'm going to go with pennies here because that's what I've used in the past. So each laborer gets a wage of one penny per shift. On the other hand, each origami heart is sold to the wholesaler for four pennies. All right, so those are the basic amounts. The hearts are sold for four pennies and each laborer receives a wage of one penny per shift. Now you have to imagine here that after each shift, the facilitator tallies the profit generated by the workers on the board. So for example, and I'll try to keep the numbers simple here because I know it might get confusing. If 100 hearts are made during the first shift, they are then sold for four pennies. Out of this total of 400 pennies, the investor deducts the business expenses of running the operation. The specific breakdown for all of this is outlined in the guide, but here what you really need to understand is that the net profit that the investor is left with is far superior than the value that the employees received, even though they were the ones working hard to make the product. Throughout the three shifts, Working conditions deteriorate as the investor seeks to cut costs and maximize profit. So now we're about to bring Nick on because I really think you have all the context you need in order to get the most out of this interview. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest and dive deep into her design decisions for Origami Hearts, Inc. All right, I'm here with Nick, Nick Donato. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for coming on and talking to me about this brilliant game that I have so enjoyed delivering. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about you and who you are sure. before we dive in? Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited about this project and just very honored to be your first guest. I am an instructional designer by trade, so I have come up through the corporate world and ironically perhaps in the financial industry <laughs> is where mm. I have done most of my work. Um, so it was interesting to work on this project from that aspect as well. But in my personal life, I've created a lot of leftist content where I try to focus on helping people liberate themselves from a lot of the dominant narratives around them, which is one of the many reasons our work goes so well together and we work so well together. So I was very excited to come into this project to try to help you explore some of these anti-capitalist concepts. Woo! You're just the best. <laughs> so. I'm so excited to delve in. Sure. So the activity begins with the investor walking into the class and announcing the opening of a new Origami Hearts factory. And you made a character sheet for the investor that they must read ahead of time, where you describe to the investor who they are. So I'm just going to read that short description at the top. The investor role sheet says, hi, congratulations, you're rich. 
In this activity, you will play the role of investor, someone who has funded the creation of a business by taking out a nice low interest loan from the bank and who makes decisions about the financial direction of that company, but does not participate in the day-to-day -day operations. So tell us a bit about that description and about the introduction of the investor to the classroom. Yeah, so when we're talking about capital and production, I think one of the hardest points to get past for people, one of the dominant narratives that people have embedded in their brains is this idea of risk and also this idea of innovation. So the idea is that this person who has the idea to say open a factory producing a certain good should be overwhelmingly compensated for that. Um, so part of, you know, it's, it's a very complex topic and it's hard to dismantle in one activity. So we wanted to at least just introduce this experience of having an investor come in already to me, at least, uh, is establishing this authority as I am here to create jobs for you and has very low risk because this person has the wealth, has the contacts, has the credit score, has the ability to get gain access to money in order to do this. So we're kind of establishing this hierarchical situation right from the get-go so that the students can understand and feel that this person is coming in. Even to me, I was thinking of the classroom as like, say, a small town somewhere where there aren't many jobs and there isn't much industry which now everyone in the town, right, is going to be pretty dependent on this person for work. So that was that was most of it. I know we'll talk about risk a little bit later, um, but it was just starting to introduce this, yeah, the hierarchical situation that you come into where a person has access to resources to create something that you need, but that you have very little power over. Mm. Yes, Yes, and this opening to the simulation does a really good job of that because at first the investor is generally well-received, I would say, by the students who are excited to get compensated for their labor in the factory. But it's only once the activity progresses that that relation to the investor starts to shift because they're like, wait a minute, you know, I'm working so hard and not getting more money even though the company is making more and more money from my hearts. So anyway, now we're at the point in the activity where the investor has introduced themselves and they must pick a student to be the manager. And the investor's reason for picking that student are never explained to the class. And if you know anything about students, they always want a reason for why this student and not me. So you just have to stay tight-lipped about that. I do suggest privately deciding ahead of time who the investor is going to pick as the manager just because the role of manager is quite important for the game to be effective. So you want to try to pick a student who's really going to get into character and kind of annoyingly monitor the students as they're working. So like we want a manager who always asks the laborers to work harder and work better. So you want to make sure the student playing the role the manager is gonna get into it. So Nick, I wanted to ask you, what was your thought process in having the investor pick the manager like that in front of the class? And then also what was your thought process in designing the employee training that the manager is about to deliver to the class? Great questions. Uh, this part of the 
um, activity was very intentional because there was a desire here to, again, further extend the authority of the investor by giving them the ability to pick the manager. So already we're seeing how people get opportunities and advantages over other people. Why is this person picked, right? Out of all the people, this one person gets an opportunity that other people don't get. And again, it's coming from this person who now has, quote unquote, created all these jobs, is offering an opportunity to the area, and someone's going to get elevated above their peers for what are probably arbitrary reasons, right? In real life, it would be probably because their friends or their families know each other. It wouldn't necessarily be based on this person's talent or background. So we wanted that tension to be there right away where it's this person was favored, this person was handpicked, and now suddenly literally comes from sitting next to me as my peer to now being someone who has authority over me and is going to be checking my work and uh, determining essentially what my pay is and if I have a job. So we're trying to mimic real life scenarios as much as possible. And I think most of us who have had jobs can relate to the idea of a manager who does not know how to do our job, but somehow is QAing our work, somehow is having you know power over our career. So we got that. I think this all very nicely creates that dynamic in a very short and simple activity. And then the training is part of that. So I want it to be very obvious to the students that this person does not have any special knowledge. They're hitting play on a video that is telling you what to do, and they can't actually help you do your job any better. And again, this is uh, focusing on that hierarchical structure that we all fall into in these sort of wage labor situations, but it's also pointing to the fact that where is the value coming from? Mm -hmm. This is the biggest thing we wanted the students to walk away with is I'm adding value with my labor. It's not the investor. It's not the manager. And they don't really have anything that I don't have except maybe resources or a friend with power. So I think this was, you know, for us, I remember being quite delighted by this idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> just having them hit play on a video because it mm-hmm. does illustrate how often employees are not given proper training or being um, managed by somebody who can't really actually provide them with much mentorship or guidance that really are just sort of gatekeeping them and um, task managing them. Mm-hmm. And then reporting their performance. Yes. And then getting, as we see later, a bonus for the work that you do that they didn't really actually help you do at all. And in many cases might, you know, um, be an obstacle for you doing your your work in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now the employees are trained because the manager has graciously hit play on the video and provided the resources, right? So provided the origami paper. And then the first shift begins, and at this point, it's very fun to see the students figuring out how to do the origami hearts. Um, Right away, there's some students that just, like, nail the origami hearts, and then there's other students who are just like, I do not understand how to make a single one. You specified in the guide that the manager should be QAing the work, and the investor should be checked out, noticeably so. Um, What was your idea there? So I wanted to, as much as possible, uh, create 
a sense that the investor had invested, they assigned a manager and now they are doing no work. Like they are literally earning money while they play on their phone, completely checked out. They're adding no value to the process whatsoever. So I wanted the students to see that as they're fumbling and struggling with how do I even make this thing as they're maybe getting annoyed with the manager QAing their work. I want them to see, you know, I want the investor to really ham it up and just make it so clear that they are just not doing mm -hmm. a lick of work. Yeah. And in delivering this, I delivered it with another teacher who, you know, played the role of the investor incredibly well <laughs> and actually started like whipping out his phone and Insta storying, you know, <laughs> for the Origami Hearts Instagram account and, you know, just asking the employees to say hello. And, it was it was very funny. Um, so I think either the investor can be totally checked out, or you know he can be sort of like using it as a marketing opportunity to like show the inner workings of the factory the one day that he visits or I something. Love that. I, I just yeah, it was so brilliant. We got very carried away delivering this activity one time, but we um, <laughs> put music on too, so we had like the work bitch soundtrack from Britney Spears. We had like that other song like you better work work work. Work. I mean, I forget what the title of the song is. Maybe I should uh, create a playlist for this activity. That's a fun idea. But um, it can be really fun to like crank up the music and have that be part of the the shift, like the grind culture at Origami Hearts. Oh my god! Um, so I loved that. It was very fun. Yeah, I really like the. Um, you know, it, it is a bit cartoonish. So it's you know, rich people. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> There are certainly rich people who work a lot, but it's trying to emphasize that at least in this process, this person is not adding value to the goods that are being sold. And I do love the the idea of someone hamming mm -hmm. it up and being like, oh, I'm in the factory today. Like, you know, I'm here with the workers and I'm like just one of the people <laughs> when you know that they're really not. Yeah. It's not like they're around like rolling up their sleeves and, and doing the same labor. Um, but yeah, it's again to just create that sense of this investor has this higher profile and this different way of moving around the world or about the world, like where the employees are stuck in this little factory trying to figure out how to meet this quota for this person who's just goofing around and having a fun time. Yeah. And I think the dynamic of the investor thinking that they're doing good just by like hyping up the employees to work faster. Um, mm -hmm. And like giving them a pat on the back uh, really comes through too. If the investor just like shows up in the classroom area and so on, it's like, come on, everybody, let's go. Like, you know. And it's like, wow, it's this big, you know, person. And yeah, but then you see, well, this person isn't, I think it's good because there's like a nice washing that mm -hmm. can happen uh, a lot of times with executives or investors or whoever, um, where, you know, it's kind of like the risk idea where you're supposed to feel grateful this person's even talking to you. <laughs> so I was hoping this would help. It might not get through to all students, but I was hoping it would help kind of create this idea of, uh, oh, this is pretty performative. And this person isn't, when, when I look at my material conditions at the end of the day, mm -hmm. This person taking Instagram stories of me did not help me pay my rent. Right. <laughs> right. And I think this activity hopefully gets that across. Yeah, this honestly is made really clear. I mean, even if the investor is having fun on Instagram stories and even like congratulating me for my work or announcing me as like employee of the day or whatever, like none of those things are 
actually going to put a, a roof over my head. Um, well, okay, now you're bringing up the material conditions and let's dive into that. So at the end of the shift, the manager is physically going around and taking the hearts away from the workers. And then the facilitator explains that Origami Hearts Inc. is selling them to Wally Mart, the wholesaler, for four or five pennies a piece. So the company is amassing mass profits, but yet the workers are not seeing any of it. And sure, out of those profits, the investor uses some of it to pay business costs, like the employee wages, the factory space, and the origami paper. Although that's the origami paper is incredibly cheap. Um, but once those costs are paid, there is actually so much profit still left over after that. And I just don't think that a lot of people really understand that the magnitude of the profit that stays at the top and never does trickle down to the people who produced the product, who turned these cheap papers into something much more valuable. Yes. Yeah. So this was really important for us. I remember us working on this together and I think you added in the cost to make it a little bit more realistic and show because that is something that would come up, right? Is it would be like, well, you know, they have to pay for the materials and they have to pay for the space we're using. And it's like, that's fair. Um, but it's it's a good way to show that, again, really at the end of the day, when we look at, you know, say goods that are produced, it is literally the labor that transforms those materials into something that has value on the market. What we're hoping that the students take from it is that they're creating a tremendous amount of value and that it more than covers the costs of what it takes to run the operation and yet they're not they're not benefiting from anything they're doing. I think one of the more subtle points of this is that you know, say you have one of those kids who just picks it up right away and is doing a great job, they're not seeing anything from that. If they produce twice as much as the kid next to them, they're not getting a cut of those extra profits, right? There's just nothing coming back to the workers. And so we want them to see that. And we want them to see that, yes, this person is covering these costs, but the goods themselves more than cover those costs. So, you know, we're, we're building up eventually hoping to have the kids start thinking about unions and worker co-ops and things like that. And I think this is a really important building block to that is that, oh, if you could collectively cover these costs, then you could collectively share the profit mm -hmm. and you wouldn't need one, all of that going to like one or in this case, I guess, two people because the manager also shares in that a bit. Um, you could actually reinvest that back in the business and back in yourselves. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that they see, you know, wow, like if I just look at my own in real life, if I have a job and I'm just making the wage I'm making, I may not have that perspective and insight to understand that, oh, I'm looking at everyone next to me and we're creating an enormous amount of wealth. I didn't realize we were creating so much and that there is actually so much left over and they're choosing to not share it with us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just took something from being a tenth of a penny to being four pennies. Mm -hmm. I did that. Yep, you did. Yeah. That's a, a brilliant way to get that point across. So another aspect of capitalism illustrated by the game is the race to cut costs. 
And there are a few different ways that this happens throughout the game. The first way is that the production targets are increased. So actually, I'll ask, Nick will tell us a little bit more about this, but the laborers, they start out without a production target. And then as the shifts continue, they need to meet a certain target in order to not get laid off. And then the second way that cuts are made um, is to actually alter the conditions of the shift. So Nick suggested to remove the chairs halfway through the game um, because that made the factory space less expensive to rent. I'm also thinking you could turn off the lights. Um, uh, there's there's a bunch of things that you could do, right? Just to illustrate this. You could put a fan on and blow all the papers around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but that element of, oh, we're cutting the cost because it's increasing our profit margin. I think that's also an element that people don't necessarily understand because so often cost-cutting measures are announced from this place of, oh, we don't have enough money to cover all of the operations. We must cut the costs. Therefore, you as the employee need to incur the cost of that because now you might get an injury from standing, right? Or your eyes might hurt from doing this work in the dark. But really illustrating through the game that actually by cutting the cost, you're upping the profit margin and you're making the company more competitive and profitable for the investor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say about that, but I thought that was a really important element of the game too. Yeah, I agree. I think it is very important and I know we designed it so that that decision does come from the investor. The investor tells the manager, hey, you know, you got to start meeting these production limits, these quotas. And we got to, you know, change their working conditions because, again, you know, I've been in a corporate space almost my whole life. I also did service work for most of that, too. It's fun having two or three jobs to make ends meet. Uh, but, you know, I have been through just in my lifetime so many layoffs. And every time something happens, the investors always use it as a way to... Mm. Uh, increase profit in whatever way they can. So I've been through things like a raise freeze for three years where people keep getting laid off and fired and I keep acquiring new jobs, but I can't ask for a raise. And it doesn't even go up with inflation. You know, it's just nothing is is happening. I'm stagnating. But when they would announce our profits and stuff, they would say, like, we would have plenty of quarters and times where we were doing quite well. But for some reason, we still had a raise freeze. Mm. So I wanted I wanted the students to experience that crush of the need for ever increasing profits, because that is what capitalism requires. And particularly if you have investors, your investors are going to push for that. They're always going to be oriented around how do we constantly make more money? And, you know, you hit times when the only way to do that is to do things that are going to make the conditions worse for the workers. So we wanted the kids to feel that. We wanted them to have to try to do origami while standing and you know just to try to in to give them some kind of physical experience of what would in the real world probably be yeah again like assuming duties for a role that's been uh, considered redundant and now being told you have to do twice as much work for the same pay. Mhm. Mm or if they are in a in a 
factory situation, you know, having to meet higher and higher targets at a risk to your own safety and health, and also just in a way that's extremely stressful and not benefiting you whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This drive for ever increasing profits is a really important part of this game. And so for teachers who are wanting to take this game and implement it in their setting, think about that aspect of like every shift, what is something that you can introduce to either cut costs or increase the profit or both at the same time. And so what we ended up incorporating in the third shift is um, we wanted to illustrate this element of greenwashing um, that many investors or companies resort to in order to sell their products for more money. Um, in this game, what this looks like is asking the students to draw this little leaf design on each heart in order to sell the specialty hearts for more money and tell the customers that this origami heart is now green or eco-friendly because the investor has decided to donate half of a percent or one percent of the profits made to an organization called Save the Rainforest. So obviously this is like very cheeky. See what works in the context of, of your workplace. Um, but often when a company announces like a green initiative, uh, people think that automatically that means that they are sacrificing a big part of their profit in order to support a cause that they really believe in. When in actuality, the, the product is being sold for more money or the fact that they are now supporting this nonprofit organization, for example, like Save the Rainforest, is allowing them to make more profit and to sell more units. Um, so that's the dynamic of greenwashing that this third shift illustrates. Yes, and I think it's especially uh, pointed that the students are experiencing the worst working conditions and the most stress as they're being given a product that's going to sell for more and is also adding to the company's reputation. So I think especially if you have a good hammy investor who's, you know, really into the role, this is another great time for for them to go around and, you know, be really on social media, really taking pictures, really promoting how they're green now and they're doing this incredible thing while hopefully the students are stressed out and are like, how can I possibly meet these production targets and do this? And also They're like stop supporting <laughs> Save the Rainforest and just like up our pay. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's really important because this is such a common, uh, you know, tactic now. It's It's been a common tactic for a long time, but companies will absolutely do this. And you're right. People don't realize that this is not cutting into their profits at all. Mm-hmm. And quite mm-hmm. the opposite usually increases their profit margin. Right. Um, I'm thinking also because they can usually get additional tax benefits for those donations. Okay. Well, Nick, I want to thank you. You've given us so much here and you've really helped bring this leftist theory to life with Origami Hearts, Inc. Now I'm going to wrap up this episode by giving the listeners just a couple tips for the debrief. Uh, But first, I wanted to let you go. Thank you so much again for coming on. And I'll make sure to put all of your contact details in the show notes so that people know where to find you. Uh, Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck with Origami Hearts. 
So as with any experiential activity like this, the debrief here is really important, and I recommend dedicating at least 30 minutes to it. There is a long list of debriefing questions which you can find in the, in the guide on the Rethinking Normal website. I'm just going to give you a few pointers here. So first off, you definitely want to give the students, in particular the workers, plenty of space to express how they felt throughout the simulation. Um, you want to ask them how they feel now with their two or three pennies in hands after their three shifts. Um, how do they feel about the changing working conditions of the shifts? Um, and how did the manager also feel having to announce these changes? And it's equally really important to spend time going over the different stages of the game. So the increased production targets, the firings, the removal of the chairs, the introduction of the specialty heart, and so on. Because you want the students to explicitly think about like, what material impact did those changes have on me as a worker? And what material impact did this have on the company and on the investor? Because since they're in the midst of the action during the simulation, there are a lot of connections they might not have made. And we want to make sure that they understand that all of the changes that they experienced at the end of the day amounted to higher profits for the investor, but worse outcomes for them. <laughs> and off the back of that, it's important to have the larger discussion of like in this competitive capitalist structure, is it ever truly realistic for investors to put people over profits? Can investors really ever avoid cutting down on production costs and worker safety? Or is it something that they're going to have to end up doing in order to stay competitive and profitable in this capitalist global market? So anyway, it's important to zoom out of the simulation to talk about the structural characteristics of our economic system, right? Not just vilifying the investor um, and the company of origami hearts, but, but really pulling out those larger insights about how capitalism works. I'll also flag just a couple more things that I found that students bring up a lot um, so that you can anticipate them in the debrief. So I found that Oftentimes, students get stuck on the idea that the investor probably did still deserve all the extra money they got. Um, they get stuck on this notion that the investor is taking out the initial loan and deserves to be rewarded for that risk. And I mean, capitalism has brainwashed all of us to think that, that people who earn disproportionate amounts of profit somehow did deserve the success of wealth. Um, so, you know, even though they've just experienced this whole simulation, it is understandable that they still are holding on to this idea by the end of the game. And so again, here, just really pull apart this idea if it comes up, um, ask students lots of questions, like what was the risk the investor faced? Um, and also what was the risk that the workers faced? Isn't it a risk for the workers to take on a job where they are giving up all of their time, their energy, their vitality, but yet they can also be fired from one day to the next and be left with nothing? Um, it might appear that the investor has all this wealth because they made a smart business decision and they took a large risk, but in actuality, would the investor 
have but a single penny if it wasn't for the labor of the workers. And even, even if we take this notion of risk seriously, should risk be rewarded by such disproportionate earnings? Is this really a productive and equitable way to build a society? All right, and the, the second point that <clears throat> tends to come up in the debrief is that some students don't think that the gap between the employee earnings and the investor earnings is realistic, meaning that they think that it's just a bit exaggerated in the game. And that's where it can be useful to have a couple numbers on hand, um, because unfortunately, Origami Hearts Inc. would seem like an incredibly equitable place to work for millions of factory workers around the world. Uh, to take a rather extreme example, which I've included in the guide, but an example that is very typical, there are factory workers working for Zara in Myanmar who work on average 10 hours a day, six days a week, and make $3 a day. While we know that the top investors of Zara are billionaires, like multi-billionaires. So the, the simulation is definitely not unrealistic in that sense. And I've linked some articles on this in the guide um, and also some recommendations of, of videos and documentaries that illustrate this point really well. Um, yeah, because it's important to note that while sure, some employees are better rewarded than this example I just gave, this is still a fundamental dynamic of capitalism, right? All workers are exploited and only paid a fraction of the value that they are producing. Because otherwise, it's mathematically impossible for a company to remain competitive and alive in our capitalist economy. It's the, the, the rule of our economic system. It's the rule of profit accumulation in the world we've created. My last point that I wanted to end on is that I really suggest weaving the simulation into a larger exploration of capitalism, poverty, and exploitation. Because we know that poverty and exploitation are very real concepts that have devastating, life-ending consequences for billions of people in the world today. So we don't want students leaving this experience with an unclear or fuzzy understanding of that. Um, and that's why it's important to, to debrief thoroughly, to answer any questions that come up um, that might still be lingering in the minds of students, and even to plan a pre- and post-reflection of the simulation, if possible. So definitely check out the facilitator guide. Um, we've actually also put together a follow-up activity where students are asked to think of worker co-ops and share some of the ideas that they would have for changing the game um, now that they've experienced being workers. Um, so we really just have put all of our, our energy and our heart and our passion into creating this game. Um, and just, I, I hope that you'll give it a try. So thank you educators for tuning in. Um, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please remember to subscribe, to leave a review, to rate the podcast, and to share it with all of your fellow educators and passionate anti-capitalist and leftist thinkers. Thank you to Nick for coming up with all of the core concepts of Origami Hearts. I'm so glad that they were able to join us on the podcast today. And that's it. I'm wishing all of you a really wonderful day. Bye.